most of all in those moments of hurt, I want to fill you up with the promises of Jesus, the only thing that has the true power to heal. I'm going to start that right now, this morning. I'm going to encourage you with everything that I've got in me today to begin to let go of the hurts that you have. Begin to let go of them so that your hands can grab onto Jesus for dear, perfect, eternal life. Let those hardships go. Let them waste away, as Paul says in this text. Grab onto Jesus. Be renewed in your heart every single day in his word. This church is here to help you do that. And this preacher is here to help you do that, to help you to be renewed in God's word, in Jesus' life, in his body and blood, in his baptism. To help you to dig into your heart, to find out where you're still holding on to hurt, and to help you let go of it and hold on to Jesus instead. about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. All right, everyone, are you ready for this one? It's going to be a heavy one. It's going to be a heavy one that's going to be so important for the future of our identity as a church. It's going to be heavy and it's going to be healing. The text that we're digging into for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul writes to his congregation, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is God's word. A man cries out to the Lord. His cry is complicated. In one moment he cries out in full confidence, and in the next he cries out in affliction. In one breath he confesses his Lord and all the trust and the love he has for him. And in the next moment, in the next breath, he makes a paradoxical statement that would have us Questioning what he had just said. It makes us think to ourselves, what is in the heart of this man bearing his heart to his God? It's impossible for us to tell. 
We keep getting mixed messages from him. It's almost as if he doesn't know himself what is in the driver's seat of his heart. He asks himself, Lord, how am I to live in your world? Lord, do I live in optimism of heaven or do I live in pessimism of sin? Do I live in sorrow or do I live in rejoicing? Do I live in affliction or do I live in salvation? The man was in angst. He spoke eloquently about his hurt and his pain. He spoke about the cords of death that he could feel trapping his body in. He spoke about the shadow of the grave that he felt creeping in on his heart. He talked about the tears that stung his eyes. He talked about the pain in his feet as he stumbled with every step. But he also spoke about how much joy he had in his heart. He's got all these adjectives that he describes God with, that God is powerful, gracious, righteous, full of compassion. He describes what God has done for him. That God saved him from death. That God protected him. That God gave him what he needed to stand tall and walk confidently. The man we're seeing before us is sorrowing, but he's also rejoicing. There's a tension inside him between the sorrow and the rejoicing, both of which have made permanent homes in his heart. At the high point of his cry, the man speaks forth this tension. You can hear it all in the one statement. The man says, I believed in the Lord and so I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. You know, I think there's a lot of that tension in this room this morning. The tension between faith and affliction. Tension between the optimism of heaven and the pessimism of a life in a world riddled with sin. Between the rejoicing that comes with Jesus' resurrection and the sadness of the reality that death is still a part of this world. Between the salvation that has already been won for us and the, the affliction that is still our constant reality. I'm going to say this now and it's going to come back to us later in this message. You can only hang on to one of these things eternally. Which one is it going to be? The man crying out in this tension was an Old Testament poet. He was a psalmist. And he wrote these words down in Psalm 116. The reason I bring up this tension and the reason I bring up this psalm is because the Apostle Paul did that. He quoted the high point of this psalm in our text for today. And he plucked out these words, I believed and therefore I spoke. Except he doesn't choose to finish that phrase. That phrase where the, the psalmist actually finishes and follows through with what he actually said, where he said, I am greatly afflicted. 
And I got to tell you, there are a lot of Bible commentators who have a big problem with the fact that Paul did that. They get very uncomfortable and they feel as if Paul has taken the psalmist out of context. That he's not just twisted words to fit his own purposes. He's actually ripped them totally out of what they should have meant and have to, has, he's put them to mean something completely the opposite. They think that he's crudely interrupted a man in his lament and forced him to rejoice against his will. You know, we know about taking words out of context these days and, and how dangerous that is. I don't have to educate anybody on that. And I don't think I have to educate anybody on the other problem that many Bible commentaries see with Paul's quotation. They've got an issue with the content of what Paul has chopped out. That Paul has chopped out the suffering. That Paul has not given the psalmist the space he needs to express his pain. That Paul didn't honor the pain. That he didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't allow that tension to exist. He broke the cardinal rule of dealing with hurting people, right? There's two things you maybe didn't know about Paul. The first thing is that Paul has experienced maybe the most suffering of anybody in the history of the world. Emotional, spiritual, physical suffering. It's not a competition, but Paul suffered a lot. And the other thing is that Paul breaks these rules about how to deal with suffering people all the time. This isn't the only one. You know, you got these unwritten rules about how to deal with this. And one of those big ones is that you don't just tell someone to stop feeling sad or to stop feeling anxious. You don't do that because it's not helpful and it doesn't work. But Paul does it all the time. He faces up with the people that he writes to and he says, Rejoice always. Don't be anxious ever. Be at peace eternally. Be people of hope no matter what it is that you're seeing. So why does Paul do it? And why does God do it all over the pages of the Bible? Is it simply because God wants us to be more emotionally comfortable? Does God want us to, to pick up his Bible and read in his word only to find a divine anesthesiologist who's putting together a concoction to give us some serenity and maybe good vibes for the rest of our lives? I think we know that that's not what this is about. God speaks to us often through the Apostle Paul so forcefully about letting go of our suffering because he knows just how spiritually destructive it can be for our lives. 
And so he forbids us to hang on to it, not just because it makes us feel uncomfortable, and not just because it is destructive psychologically and physically. You've got to know. You've got to know about what happens when we hang on to our suffering, when we refuse to let it go. It becomes a preacher in our hearts. It becomes a preacher of worry and anxiety and fear that is constantly preaching right into our ears and our hearts and it's preaching about this different kind of faith in you. The preacher gets up into his pulpit. He's excited about this. And he begins his evil sermon off and he starts by saying this, you and your life aren't going to turn out well. And he starts getting into it a little bit more. He's got some key phrases prepared for you. He says, not only is it not going to go well for you, you're going to deserve it. You're going to deserve what you get. Just look at your trouble and suffering right now. And then that preacher is going to bring it home with the statements that he prepared just for you. And he's going to say, God doesn't care about you. You don't matter. And at the end of your life, you are not going to end up being respected or loved or blessed or even anywhere close to being okay. And you know what the saddest part about this preacher is? The saddest part about this preacher is that we let him preach. We let them go on and on and on and on until even our best days become days that we want to forget. And God cannot have us there. He cannot have us in a place where we're starting to believe that He doesn't love us and that He doesn't care for us. He cannot have us in a place that is so spiritually close to falling away from Him. He cannot have us there because He loves us too much. He must have us in heaven. And so He sends us preachers. He sends us the Apostle Paul to preach. And Paul says, I believed and therefore I spoke. Let me tell you, that Paul is not taking the psalmist out of context. It's the opposite. He is capturing the heart of this psalm perfectly. There is tension in the psalmist's cry. There is tension at least until verse 10. The part where Paul quotes from. And then the tone of the psalm changes drastically. The psalmist knew about what happens when that tension is allowed to endure. He knew the the spiritually dangerous places it could take him. And so he continued on with this psalm. And you can see that there is no tension there at all. I'll read to you the end of this psalm here. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. 
Paul was not taking the psalmist out of context. He was reflecting the psalmist's heart perfectly. He identified the exact same enemy that the psalmist identified. The preacher that was in his heart. The preacher that was calling on him to lose heart. And he knocked that preacher out of his pulpit. Paul is about ready to do the same. He's got his knockout punch ready in verse 13. Are you ready for it? Here it is. He, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, We also believe, and therefore we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Do not believe the lies that that bitter preacher of worry, fear, and anxiety preaches into your heart. Believe instead that Christ Jesus has risen from the dead and because he lives, you also will live. Believe that everything that has happened to you has happened for your benefit. I know this is going to sound cliche, but I'm going to show you how it's true in a second. Believe that everything that has happened to you has brought you to this exact moment to this church, to this preacher, to this text for your life. Some of you in this room this morning know the story, this real life example that I'm about to share with you. Paul tells us that everything that he went through, which is a lot, everything that he went through is for the benefit of those he preached to, so that more and more people could know about the grace of God. Did you know that you're sitting in a church right now that is an exact reflection of those words? It's the story of this church. It's a story of tension between pessimism and optimism, between joy and sorrow, between affliction and salvation. Up until just a few months ago, this church was not known as Hope Lutheran Church, it was Gethsemane Lutheran Church. And Gethsemane Lutheran Church started 60 years ago. It started as a church plant. They worshipped in their pastor's house for a while. And when they got to know their community, their community's needs, and when they couldn't fit in pastor's house anymore, they bought a plot of land and put a church on it. It's about two miles away from here. Maybe less. And that church grew and grew and was blessed by God. And for many, many years, it served hundreds of people, thousands of people over those years. But then, for this, that, and the other reason, the numbers of that church began to dwindle down. And for this, that, and the other reason, the building itself began to show its age. Some studying was done and it was found that the church needed about $700,000 of repairs for that church to be useful again. And that was hard. 
and then something harder happened. Then there was a split in the church. And many loved people left. And that was hard. There was a small group that was left at Gethsemane. And that small group was left with a huge decision. Not only can you not afford to to fix up this beautiful old building, but you also can't afford to, to support the pastor and his family. A decision had to be made, and a decision was made. It was a horribly hard decision. They decided to sell the property. Sell the property, that place that had been a physical and spiritual home for 60 years for so many people. A place of joy. A place for for weddings to happen. A place for funerals. A place for baptisms. A place for, for, for physical life. A place for spiritual life. That place that was home, it was sold. It's going to be apartments now. It was a horribly difficult decision and I'm about to reveal to you why that group made that decision and the reason that they made that decision is so important for the identity of the church that it created. The members of Gethsemane Lutheran Church decided to sell that property because they could not bear for the people of Tiger to not know Jesus for who he truly is. And so they gave their their spiritual sanctuary so that others could find one. People of hope, you're sitting in that sanctuary right now. Can you see how Paul's words are reflected in this church right now when he says all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God? Now I want to be abundantly clear about this today. Suffering is not wrong. Not even close. I do not want to communicate to you today that suffering is wrong. I don't want you to feel that if you're suffering that you shouldn't talk to me about that because that is the opposite of the truth. I want dearly for you to talk to me when you're hurting. I want to sit with you and I want to hear you and I want to pray with you. Most of all, in those moments of hurt, I want to fill you up with the promises of Jesus, the only thing that has the true power to heal. I'm going to start that right now, this morning. I'm going to encourage you with everything that I've got in me today to begin to let go of the hurts that you have. Begin to let go of them so that your hands can grab onto Jesus for dear, perfect eternal life. Let those hardships 
go. Let them waste away, as Paul says in this text. Grab onto Jesus. Be renewed in your heart every single day in his word. This church is here to help you do that. And this preacher is here to help you do that, to help you to be renewed in God's word, in Jesus' life, in his body and blood, in his baptism. To help you to dig into your heart, to find out where you're still holding on to hurt, and to help you let go of it and hold on to Jesus instead. To help you to see what the Apostle Paul saw and what God sees for us. That our troubles of today, and by the way, this is another one of those places where Paul breaks those cardinal rules of dealing with a hurting person, and I'm so glad that he does. God wants us to see today what he sees. That our troubles of today are light and momentary. And that they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm going to drop an anchor on this as we finish up today. That our momentary troubles are nothing compared to the good things coming in heaven. That's kind of a big deal to us here. You know how big of a deal that is to us? It wasn't all that long ago that we as a group were deciding what to call ourselves, what to name our church. We came up with a couple of options together. We even went out and tested them in the community. And you can see where we landed. We landed on hope. And we landed there because everything that Jesus accomplished for us can be summed up in that word. It's hope. It's confident hope for an eternal life with Jesus. It's real hope that sin and its consequences will never bother us again. It's hope in bad times. It's hope in good times. It's that ultimate, unending, unbreakable sense that everything will finally be way more than just okay. We exist as a church to preach that truth right down into your soul so clearly and so often that we drown out that preacher of worry and fear in your heart. Even when everything else seems hopeless. Maybe even especially then. So that even there, When I come up to you and say, we have hope in Jesus, you know exactly what I mean. It's not a wish for you to feel better. Not a wish for you to be happier. Not a wish for you to be able to feel less anxious. It's a statement of confidence in Jesus for this life and for the next. I believe and therefore I speak. And I want you to speak with me today. The words are up on the screen. Let's speak as we close out this message today. My hope is in Jesus.